What's going on, everybody? This is Ryan Henry, and welcome to 180, where we get to share amazing stories of Christian transformation from around the world. These stories will literally blow your mind. Follow us on your favorite podcast player, or you can visit us at 180podcast.com. That's O-N-E-80podcast.com. Thanks for coming back to Burning for Jesus, Part 2. If you missed Part 1, check out Episode 37. With a newfound zeal for Islam, Mahmoud goes into a church to burn it down. But see what happens next, as his life is completely transformed right inside the doors. Hear how his family's jaws literally dropped and what they did about his new faith, his imprisonment as the first Christian convert in Iran, and how his faith propelled Mahmoud to change lives all over Europe. This is my city. We give a right to Christian to have a church in my city. I'm going to burn that church down. Wow. And you have to realize that you know, I was in a quite important what I was doing in the army. And as I told you, I was a living martyr. If I burned the church, nobody would say anything to me. In fact, they would encourage me and say, thank you. But in reality, I wanted to prove to the Allah, I'm still a good Muslim. Most important, I want to prove to myself, this Bible hasn't changed me. I'm a good Muslim. And he told me nine o'clock is a meeting. And when I say church, it's not a church like what you have in West. It was somebody's basement, very simple, then a few chairs and then a small cross on the wall and nothing, nothing special. And that morning I put my military clothes, revolutionary guard clothes, I had a long beer. And I went early to the church. I said, I go earlier just in case, because if the people are there, they won't let me to destroy it. But if I go earlier, then nobody there. And I waited. Then this lady cleaner went to clean the church, and I followed her and to burn the church down. And I put one foot inside the church. I didn't know what to use that time. But something came over me. I wanted to be able to call him a father. Nothing else was important. Wow. Not my family, not my religion, not heaven, not hell. Nothing. I just wanted to call him a father. And I love the Bible enough. I knew it. I'm not allowed to. Just went down on my knee and asked God for Jesus for forgiveness. And for the first time in my life, I called him a father. Amazing. The first time I could feel him holding me. I could feel his warm of his heart, and, and I could feel then his clear my tears. For the first time, I, I tested his fatherhood. And that's where the journey started. And after a couple of hours, this same guy I insulted, I didn't realize he's a pastor. He knocked on my shoulder and said, come, I'll tell you about Jesus. Wow. I said, I met him. Wow. And as I told you, I ran home and I was a smiling. And that's, that's the start of my journey. Man, that's amazing. That's incredible. I guess what was going through your mind at that moment? So as you were in the church and you're, it, it sounded like more of a more feeling, like you're feeling God's presence. 
more of a, a leading or some of the Christians, some of the churches, they don't realize who they're calling a father. They take it for granted. They don't, they don't appreciate it. What was going through your mind during those moments? It's very difficult for you guys to understand. But if, if you scared all your life and you want to please the master, and suddenly you realize you're free, not just free, you become a son of the king. You don't think too much. Just cry and, you know, I cannot explain it. I know it. I'm not an orphan anymore. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. What happened next? What was what were the next steps after? Well, I kept my faith quiet. I didn't tell anybody. I still carried on teaching a Quran and going to ceremonies, go back home, read the Bible, I was eating a Bible, man. Then... Other way to tell you, it might feel a bit silly for you, Westerner, to understand it or difficult. But we are six brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest one. And one after me is my sister. And I used to beat her up, as far as I remember, for any reason. And one day we having, this is after four or five months of my fate, when we're having a dinner and I heard the voice, apologize to your sister. And I didn't take a notice. <laughs> Then again, I heard the apologies to his sister. Hmm. And I went out in the garden. This doesn't happen in my culture. We don't apologize to women, you know? Wow. I'm an oldest man, I'm a religious man, I'm a living martyr, I'm in military. I don't apologize to women. It's not our culture. And I went in the garden, I started crying, God, and I'm not touching her again, you know, but don't ask me to go and apologize, you know, yes, man. Hmm. Go and apologize. Anyway, I went in the room, I waited. When everybody left the room, I went my, to my sister. I said, I'm sorry. And I ran away back to the garden. And I had them so clear. You know, it's a strange. God, when he wants something, he doesn't want to beat. He wants a whole lot. I know it is from God. I went back in front of everybody, all family. I said, please forgive me. Wow. All my family joy just dropped. Above all, I was shocked. Because nothing could make me to do that. No education, no money. I mean, the worst thing, the problem in the Middle East is education. A syndicate money modernization is not. And it's our heart to be changed. That day I understood the meaning of the new creation. He made me the new person. And I told all of them, because of Jesus. Wow. That day I understood what the meaning of being a Christian. What the meaning of new life. And I told my family and... From that day, I started shouting and telling everybody. I stopped doing a prayer meeting. I went to the army. I told them I went to the mosque. Jesus can save. Jesus can change the people. He changed me, you know. You know what I did? Might be silly for you, but that was the biggest miracle in my life. Wow. Changed me. Wow. That's very bold. You know, it sounds like something that you you feel in your heart and you're just like compelled. You know, something that you're just passionate about. A lot of people don't have that thing to live for and to f find that you had that passion for God, for Jesus that early. That's incredible. And your walk with, with Christ, that's amazing. How did your family respond? I know you said they were shocked, but how else did they respond? Well, first few months, they told them I'm crazy. I'm lost it. Because I told you I was injured in the war and then PTSD. They told I lost my mind. My family, basically, I got crazy. But outside in the mosque and military, 
because respect of my grandfather and respect of my living martyr. Again, they said, he's crazy, and they tolerated me for a few months. Then when they saw I'm adamant and I'm telling everybody, and what I was telling people, it made sense because they know me. They know that I'm not an emotional person. What I'm saying then is a truly experience with Jesus. And that's where I end up being arrested and end up in a jail, in prison for over two years. Whoa. Wow. What was that? Talk a little bit about that experience. They called me then I come to the special court. And one day, and it was one of these Muslim priests as a judge, and he said to me, hey, we heard you wanted to become a pastor. I smiled. I said, now then I need to study. I told him he's asking a serious question. And he just stood up and gave him a big slap. And he said, well, if it wasn't because of your grandfather, I would kill you right now. And well, take him away. Then they took me downstairs and put me in a jail, like a three foot by four, five foot. And I spent next 19 months in there. I was tortured, beaten up. Oh, man, that's amazing that it escalated that quickly. I mean, it was a shock for them because before me, I was the first Muslim background Christian went to prison in Iran. Wow. And then it was for them difficult to understand because I was from a very good Muslim family. I studied Islam, I teach Islam, and I wore, you know, I could have a very good place in a society and then I could make a lot of money in future for myself. That's why when I talk to my people that used to teach about Quran, when I tell them about Jesus, they would listen. They know that I don't have anything to gain personally or financially to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. That's why they would listen and that would make them more angry because they were worried that the people or at least some of my students they will follow. So the jail experience. During that time, did you did you start to waver in your faith now that, you know, this is because of Jesus? What you know, happened? You know, brother, if they told me what I would go through before I come to the Lord, probably I wouldn't become a Christian. Hmm. But God, I always say God pr- prepare us long before the suffering. He will prepare us for that. Not before the trial, he will prepare us for that. I tested Jesus personally. It was not because somebody else had the experience. I, I saw it. Wow. And they put me in prison. It was a rough time. More or less, they broke everyone in my body. More or less. Wow. So sorry. I didn't I spend the time in a jail with no lights, no windows, as I said. And you couldn't lay down because it was too small. They would not let you sleep. They would come and pour water every two, three hours. And then one occasion they came and they took me to the yard with other two people. We closed our eyes and they said, he condemned to death. And they got a fire in the squad and they started shooting. They killed the other two. And they opened my eyes and laughing, they put me back in a jail. And then mm-hmm. I've been in a coffin. They put me in a coffin and they took me through some, I don't know, it was factory or somewhere, you know, with a lot of noise. And they took me to this quiet place and left me in the silence for two days. I think it was over two days I was there. I don't know how long exactly. Basically, it was bad. Wow. But 
when they when they broke my ribs, I was in so much pain. I screamed, I shouted, Father, where are you? I want him to do something. I want him dinner to just like destroy the prison and bring him down the whole lot or kill all of these, you know, the guards. Do something. Yeah. And I heard him, I'm here. He didn't take a pain away. He didn't open the door, but I'm here. And I knew it, you know, every step I get, he goes through his face before he hit me. Wow. And that, that was the only thing that kept me going because he was there. He was with me. Regardless of the pain or anything else, he's suffering same as I was suffering. Hmm. Wow, brother. You're strong. Now, I was very weak, man. I, I argued with him so many times, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, uh, I was, I, I love my mom. I love my family, you know. I don't want to lose them. I don't want to die. And argue with Jesus. And I put him to the point, I actually ask him, why do I have to know you? I had the world respect that money. I was in my own Jaguar. I was a young man. Then I had my own house, two houses, everything, respecting the family, army, then a good place. Why do I have to meet you? Why do you open my eyes? I had the argument with him. Yeah. And if anybody says he's, he's been in faith for so long and he doesn't have those arguments, I just challenge them. It comes a point. You ask me, where are you? Yeah, I know a lot of my friends even today who haven't gone through what you've gone through and they're asking those same questions, you know? Like I said, I know you felt weak during those moments, but you were very strong, very strong. That is a encouragement even for me. I think it's a natural to ask that question. Actually, it's healthy mm-hmm. to ask that question. But I promise you, you hear it or not, the answer will be the same. I'm here. I'm here. It's good. It's really good. Wow. Okay, so how did you get out of jail? I love Psalms 18. Yeah. I recommend every of you guys listening to this, read Psalms 18. Mm-hmm. And nearly two years, after two years, they condemned me to death. They passed a death sentence. And they gave me two weeks before my execution date. They gave me date. And just after a couple of days, which they announced to my family, my uncle came to prison which, as I said, it was also a Muslim priest. They called me to the judge's office. My uncle came, and they, he opened this briefcase full of the money. And I said, yes, he's probably trying to bribe a judge to get me out. <laughs> but my uncle turned back to the judge, and he said, you know, we give you all of this money. You allow us to kill him ourselves, as he brought a shame to my family. attitude of my family. Then at that time, my father came to visit me and my father was, as I say, was different. He was a Sufism. He came straight to me, look at my face. He said, do you truly believe in him? I said, yes, I do. Ready to die for him? I said, yeah. I said, okay, don't let anybody break you. Turned back, cried and went. He then, wow, he went straight. I mean, they know that I'm Christian, but they didn't know anything where I go. Then we church I go because that's what the government wanted to know in during these two, three, two years. He went to the first things he saw as a Christian church. He goes to him and said, Why you don't know why you don't do anything? They're going to kill my son. They sent my father to my church. You know, he find that our pastor, he told them. Because the church tried to 
we caught any contact because they were worried the government attacked the church. And anyway, my church started commuting with America and England, and I was in the first page in a lot of news, important newspaper and magazine, West. Then God raised the Queen of England, her cousin. She got involved, and they put a pressure in Iran. And wow, just two days before my execution, I mean, my execution is supposed to be on Thursday. On Tuesday, 4 o'clock in the morning, they came, which is the time usually for persecution, and they called my name, and they said, well, you're free. And that's the same word we use for free, for shooting. And then I, uh, <laughs> I produced, I said, no, my, my time is two days later. They said, no, you're free. And they let me out, and but two, three days later, they tried to kill me in my home which after that become a practice of Iranian government. They take you in and they ask a question. If you don't change your mind, they let you go and they kill you in the street and they say, we don't know. That become a practice. Wow, that's tough. So tell us, how did you get to the UK from here, from Iran? Yeah, when I came out, as I said, they sent the people to kill me after I came out of the prison. And before I go to prison, I was engaged to my wife. And when I came out, the pastor said to my wife, you still want to get married? You don't know what's happening? And I asked the same question. Say yes. In a hiding, they married us. and uh, But the government was looking after them to try to find me. They put my father and my brother in prison to find out where I am. Uh-huh. And there was a lot of pressure. And the church felt it would eventually end up getting the church in trouble. And they said, okay, you better get out. That's why they helped me illegally through the mountain, then end up in England. And last 37 years I'm outside, I go around and I talk about my father, especially with my Muslim brother and sister. They need to know we are not an orphan. We have a father to know. And the West, I try to tell them you should know your father. You should know how, who you're calling a father. That's been my mission, and I try to be in places which other ministries will there's no Christian there or no church in there. It's not been reached. That's, that's where I saw. Wow. So that's pretty much the basis or the, the beginning of Father's heart. Yeah. From that, on my knee in the church, even, even the churches we have, then we don't call it church. We call it Father's house. Mm. Then I think we have to go to basic because Jesus came to show us a Father. Okay. We know, we know long before Jesus, we know about God, one God. And after that, all the religion they talk about, but Jesus came to show the Father. And I think that's the biggest things happening. We're missing a Father who love God. And that's why we have so much problem in our in a country, in a Muslim faith. You know, as I said, we die. We kill ourselves, man. Can you imagine then you put a bomb on yourself and go and kill yourself and so many people? Maybe. And see that, you know, what, what's a treasure we have in Jesus? We don't need to do that. We call him a father, and he did everything. He paid for everything. Yeah, absolutely. So what is the reach of Father's Heart now? To what extent has Father's Heart grown? I work in Syria, in Iran, in Yemen, Turkey, Somalia. The places, if you look at it, mainly they're in trouble with the war and Al-Shabaab, Taliban, and all of those things, because I believe the only way those countries can get peace, so I said, it's not education, it's not 
putting your money in it and anything like that is to know the Jesus. And the only way they get the peace in those countries is to know or God follow. And we have a mission with the refugees coming from those countries to Europe. We try to help with the refugees situation. They're coming from the Middle East to Europe. That's why I start full-time ministry in Italy. And then in Greece, we have a center. We're helping refugees with the food, clothes, everything they have to do. But the main goal is preaching the gospel. Also in Italy now, we have churches working with them. Got it. So good. You know, I, we have so many places in this crazy area. God opened so many doors. And I'm a mechanic. Yeah, I've never been to seminary. I've never been to university. I just went to England and started working to provide for my family. I'm not qualified to do any of the things that God done. But God opened the door to all of these countries and amazing work happened, and God put people in contact with me, you know, important people, prime ministers, and I go to European Union Parliament, you know, speak twice a year, you know, tell them about what's happening in CVN, and I'm my advisor to Parliament in England, I'm a mechanic, man, I cannot even know. <laughs> wow. I'm a most disqualified person to do what I'm doing. But God does not share his glory with anybody. And I think that's one of the reasons he chose me. Because they say, ah, it cannot be. He's a mechanic, man. He doesn't know much. Must be God behind it. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, you know when in Revelation 5, we talk about Jesus saying you know, he will confess in front of the Father, confess us. And at that wonderful feast you know, from every nation and every tribe, when all the trumpet goes up, and all the nation, African to think worship, Iranian dance, all the beautiful music is going on to worship a father. A father comes in with Jesus on his right hand side. Jesus comes and says, This is Mahmoud, this is Thomas. That's the most important thing. That's more important than any recognition in this world. It's good. I 100% agree with you. That is to be recognized as a son of the most high is the best honor. Whatever you're made out of, you've been shot, you've been bones broken. You're quite the guy. One thing I learned, the man, he will take you up so high, suddenly just mm -hmm. drop you. But when God take you up, he's a faithful God and never ever let you go. It's good. And I put all my hope and all my trust and everything on him. I want him to lift me up. Man, that's good. So good. Going back just a little bit, you said your your wife, she still married you. Of course, man. <laughs> she suffered. We got engaged. Then I went to prison. We come out, we got married in a hiding, then I ran away to England. Wow. She's a woman of the prayer. In fact, when I wanted to come to full-time ministry, God talked to me very, very clear to leave everything. Because that time I was in Spain, I was serving in a church. I started a church in Spain, going on a weekend to the Morocco, preaching the gospel in Morocco. Then I had a restaurant, I had a few houses, I had a quite comfortable life. And I was doing everything as a Christian is supposed to do. And I went out on my anniversary of the faith and I just asked God, God, is that what you plan for me? I know the answer is not yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And I said, God, tell me what you want me to do. And that, that's very, very dangerous question to ask God. Tell me what you want me to do. Yeah. <laughs> and God told me, get out of the boat. I told you where to go. I went and told my wife, I know. God told me six months ago, but I'm waiting for him to tell you. <laughs> wow. She's a woman of the prayer. And we have three kids, four grandchildren. Um, wow. That's so good. Okay, so we'll get to your last question. So take us to where you started your research on how to disprove Christianity. And then what would happen if you did get the Bible? Well, the thing is in it, I truly wanted to prove that Christianity is not right to convert these people to the Islam. But one thing that was important for me, as I said, and I wanted to serve God. God was more important than the Christianity and the religion. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that's the difficulty for lots of people, regardless, you know, you're Catholic, you're Orthodox, you're a Muslim, you're a Buddhism, it's the same thing, you know, or even so-called Christian by name, it comes a point the religion will become more important than God. But for me, it wasn't that. I wanted to serve a God. I wanted to know the God. And it was more spiritual, not a logic, more spiritual than the quest than to know the God. That's why I don't think I would ever be finding what I was looking for to convince myself Jesus is wrong. So I, I think that's that's all I have for you today. I really, really appreciate you mm -hmm. opening up and sharing your story. It was incredibly inspiring, encouraging, like I said, and it means a lot for you to come on and share your story on 180 with us, uh, Mahmoud. Thank you for the time you give me. And as I said, I hope this interview caused some of you guys, listeners and readers, to realize what they have in Jesus. Then it makes us more zealous Christian. And we kind of stand up with the joy and going forward and I tell everybody, you know, don't think because you're not coming from Muslim background, you're not a slave. I was a slave of the Islam. You might be a slave of the money, gambling, life. Anyway, it's just a normal life. Jesus can free you. So good. Thank you again. I believe a lot of people's lives will be impacted by hearing your story. God bless you. Thanks for listening today. I invite you to join us at One Way with our Love Muslims initiative. Along with many prayer resources, you'll find amazing testimonies from Muslim-born believers, including this one from Kayvan. Find a link to Love Muslims in our show notes. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Kayvon. I'm from the United States, and this is my story. My journey actually begins about 7,000 miles away from the United States. It's a land that is beautiful, and when I grew up there, it was very free. It's a land of biblical kings and ancient history. It's a land of empires, a land of spices. It's well known for its rugs. It's a land that was transformed in the 19th century with the discovery of the second largest oil deposit in the world. By now, you probably guess what that country is. It's Iran. This was where I was raised in the 1970s. But my life was changed dynamically in 1979. This time, there was a large revolution. The people revolted against the Shah, and he was ousted. 
A new government came in that was actually quite a bit more radical, took away a lot of the freedoms that we were used to having. And so this religious persecution caused all the missionaries to be kicked out and a lot of people to be killed because of their faith. Now, my parents, because of our Muslim background and heritage, and also because we were non-political, this didn't really affect us that much, so we were willing to stay. But in 1980, another large thing happened in my country. It was the invasion of Saddam Hussein to my country of Iran. And the bombs began to fall, and uh, it became a scary place and time to live. So my parents talked about it, and they realized that we would never have the same opportunities as they had growing up with the education and the freedoms. And so they had to make a very hard decision to leave almost everything behind and leave that country. And they did. We left. We left our families. We left our livelihood, a lot of our income, our house, and our business, and made our, made our way to Spain, and eventually found our way to the United States after that. We came here uh, because of the place that we lived and the kind of the secular nature of, of, of America. We actually didn't really uh, do much when it came to religion. I would pray on my own. Uh, but my parents never really forced us to pray or read the Quran. It was just something that I did on my own because I still wanted to connect to God the way I used to when I lived in Iran, the way I used to when I went to mosque or masjid with my grandma. But I realized as I got a little bit older, maybe this is all made up. Maybe I made this whole thing up. What if there isn't a God? And if there is a God, why would he do such horrible things like what happened to my country? And so I became angry at God and I rejected him probably around my junior high, 13 or 14 years old. Curiously enough, one of my best friends around that time uh, went to church and became a Christian. And he comes back and tells me, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Kayvon, you need to become a Christian too. And I, I laughed at him and I said, are you crazy? I've given up on this religion thing and here you are wanting to be a Christian? He goes, yeah, it's awesome. It's changing my life. And he invited me to church, he invited me to youth group. And I wouldn't go to church, but occasionally I'd go to youth group. But I really didn't understand when they talked about God, why they would talk about him as if he was real, as if he was in the room. They would talk about him and praise him and sing songs to him. And I'd be like, this is just nuts. But I kind of wanted a little bit of it, but I didn't. And so I, I left. And after that year, I didn't go back to church for the next couple of years. It wasn't until my senior year when I was 17 that I actually, curiously enough, wanted to go on my own. And I did. I went into that youth group that my friend was at. I began to listen and hear the stories of grace, faith, hope, trust. And things began to make a little bit more sense. So much so that I actually invited my non-Christian friends to come with me to the youth group. And I remember it was 1992 where an amazing thing happened in my life. It was New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1992, and we were at a party. And five minutes before New Year's happened, our pastor said, let's stop and let's just pray. Let God answer any question you have. And as I prayed a prayer for my friends that I'd brought to the party, I heard these words when everything was silent in the room. Why are you praying for them? when you don't know me yourself. And I looked up thinking that it was the pastor speaking, but it wasn't because he was so far away. And I closed my eyes and I heard that voice again. Why are you praying for them when you don't know me yourself? I remember thinking in my head, God, this is you. And why is it that I believe you're right for the world, but I haven't accepted you? So I did, that's my birthday. My spiritual birthday is that day and I received him. My life was dynamically changed. I began to want to read the Bible. I began to want to go to church. I actually snuck off to church for the next several months without my parents knowing until one day they caught me with a Bible at home. And when they caught me, they said, what are you doing with a Bible? And I said, I'm a Christian. They said, who let you be a Christian? And I said, only God. And I asked them, they asked me uh, why I was going to church. And I said, I want to know more about God. And, and it was amazing because even though they were against Christianity, even though they were against religion at that time, they let me go. They even let me go to Mexico that year when I asked if I could go on a mission trip. 
And on that trip, something, another amazing thing happened in my life. I remember after a few days of ministry, I was so overwhelmed by the love of God that I began to weep and I separated myself from the group. I began to sit in some cornfields next to where we were and I just wept and wept. And my pastor, after about half an hour, came and found me and said, what's wrong? Why are you crying? I said, my heart hurts. And he said, do you need me to take you to the hospital? I said, no, it's not that kind of pain. It hurts because there's such a weight of the lost. I said, why is it that I had so many opportunities to hear the gospel? So many people got a chance to share it with me, yet so few in the world have heard the message of Jesus. I want the world to know this message and know the love of God like I do. And he said, maybe you're called to be a pastor. Maybe you're called to be an evangelist or a missionary. I said, I don't know what those things are, but I just want the world to know Jesus like I do. I went to college after that. I got a chance to grow in my faith and serve at a church up there. And then God called me to San Jose to work in an Iranian church, a church that is working among Muslims, a a completely Muslim convert church. People like myself, I ran into, and it was awesome to be around a group that was so passionate for the lost, especially the Muslims. We began a broadcast ministry into Iran early in the 2000s to share the gospel through the airwaves, where I got a chance to share my story and many other things with them as well. Now there's four stations that are broadcasting 24 hours a day, four different ministries that are doing incredible work through the airwaves. I want to end with a verse that really encourages me. It comes from Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I look at that and I think, my future was dynamically changed by a lot of horrible things, but also God had a plan through all of it. I know God has a plan for every one of us that is rich, that is powerful, that is meaningful. And that's my prayer, that the world would know this loving Jesus, that the world would know we serve the God of the impossible. And thank you so much for listening to my story. 180 is a production of One Way Ministries.